you do not need to live in a blue zone uh, latitude uh, to enjoy the benefits of longevity. You can set your life up so that you're doing these things or proxies for them wherever you're living. And, uh, you know, everybody listening to me, the average person listening to me right now, you look in my eyes, you should be able to live to age 92 or 93. And it starts with eating a plant-based diet, whole plant-based foods. This week's podcast is sponsored by Vivo Barefoot Shoes. We've been wearing them for six years and genuinely they are our favorite shoes and that is all we wear beyond being barefoot. Yeah, they're really, really great. They have tons of different varieties. Uh, you get 15% off with the code HAPPYPAIR15. And if you don't like them, what do you do, Dave? You can send them back within 100 days. So if you're interested, vivobarefoot.com and the code is HAPPYPAIR15. Welcome, Dave and Steve here, and we are delighted to have you aboard. Today, we've got a really special episode with you. And this is someone who we've admired for a long period of time and someone whose work has influenced our work massively. Like we've been given corporate talks for years and we will all always pretty much always without fail talk about the blue zones because the blue zones is so interesting and relevant and this so today's talk is with dan butner he's the founder of blue zones which is the five areas in the world where there was the longest living people and dan partnered with national geographic and he went and found with cartographers, I think he called them? Demographers. Oh, demographers. That was, uh, they got all the sense of the world and they were finding out where the longest living people were. And they then they went in and they researched and they got all the data of why, how do these people live such long lives? And uh, that was one part of his research. And then he went off and did the Blue Zones of Happiness, trying to define, to understand where were the happiest people in the planet and what, how were their lifestyle factors? So fascinating bodies of work. He's also an incredible man that also has three Guinness World Records for ultra endurance cycling. Um, written lots of number one New York Times best-selling books. An all-round super cool, inspiring human. And one of the main messages that I got was the sense, the importance of environmental design. Yeah, and that sounds kind of crazy, but he said, it's not about willpower, it's not about motivation. We are all products of our environment. And he said, with a lot of the longest living people, they simply are because their environment, the healthy yeah. choices, these choices. So that was fascinating anyway. Anyway, we don't want to tell too much more about it. It was a fabulous conversation. Dan is such an inspiring man. Thank you again for all the feedback you've been giving us on social media. And please, this is part of our series on community and how to build resilient communities, because this is something that in this day and age, community, even in the blue zones, community is one of the most important factors for longevity, for happiness and a sense of belonging. Yes, genuinely. So buckle up. Here we go. Dan Butner. Woohoo! Enjoy and let us know what you think. So for anyone listening who doesn't know about the Blue Zone, so we've been, we've been, we've read your books, we've listened to every talk, we like, we know all about it. But for anyone listening that doesn't really know about the Blue Zones, what it is, or could you give it, bring anyone up to date who's listening that might not know about it? So it started out as a National Geographic project to reverse engineer longevity. So we, um, there's something called the Danish Twin Study that established that only about. 20% of how, how long the average person lives is dictated by our genes. The other 80% is something else. So our way of finding out what that other 80% was, was to hire demographers. These are people who are good at measuring populations and different characteristics of population. But we're specifically interested in finding the statistically longest lived areas in the world. And this was a huge job. It took us about two and a half years to go through all the world's census data, for the last hundred years and to pinpoint these areas. And we found them in the longest lived men in, in the highlands of Sardinia, longest lived women in Okinawa, Japan, uh, in Costa Rica, uh, the Nicoya Peninsula, we found the lowest rate of middle-aged mortality. 
an island in Greece called Ikaria. We found about 10,000 people who are living about eight years longer than Americans are with a fractional rate of heart disease and about one-tenth the rate of dementia, which is really interesting. So they're living a long time and uh, staying sharp until the very end. And so once you find these places, then the next step, so these are areas that have achieved the outcomes that we want. So they live a long time and they avoid the diseases that are crushing our economies and causing so much pain and suffering, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, dementia, several types of avoidable cancers. So these people aren't getting these diseases. So then we set about a different sort of branch of science to find out how what these people are doing or what are the what are the behaviors, the population-wide behaviors that correlate with these long-lived populations. And remarkably, no matter where we go, we see essentially the same behaviors and environmental characteristics in place. It's just shocking how you could be on one Okinawa on one side of the world and Costa Rica on the other side of the world. And the, the, the same puzzle pieces are in place. So what my books, Blue Zones, Blue Zone Solution, Blue Zones Kitchen, what they do is they endeavor to uh, identify what those puzzle pieces are and then put them in place so that people do the right things and avoid the wrong things for long enough. And this is key so they don't develop uh, 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 the disease that will foreshorten their lives. And um, the big insight is that um, that uh, people in blue zones don't try to change their behavior. Uh, they change. They, they live in an environment where the healthy choice is the easy choice. And the value proposition for everybody listening uh, is about 10 extra years. I mean, Ireland's probably 12 extra years. You can be levy 12 extra years and look like the happy pair with just as much energy <laughs> as they have. And uh, by the way, is it is the happy pair a double entendre on the fact that you guys are pair brothers? You know, Damn. I'm, I'm I'm that was Seven. obvious to everybody else, but me, I was very last to figure that out. But uh, nah, it, no, you did well. Myself. <laughs> nah, well uh, done. But that's the that's the that's the nickel version of the dollar question. I yeah. love that. And I love the fact that you're mentioning the environment because so much of modern day society is put down to the individual. It's put down to willpower. It's put down to like, you, if you don't succeed, it's your fault. Whereas it's beautiful you saying that it's the environment. It's the context is so conducive to our longevity and also conducive to our happiness. And also a bit like you can even use that analogy back to plant. You can put a certain plant in one type of soil and it doesn't thrive at all. I see it in my house in the house plants. I put certain house plants in the direct sunlight. They don't yeah. do well. I find them in nice shady kind of damp spot in the corner of the house and it thrives there so my house isn't damp of course not Dave. <laughs> of course not but uh no, but that's, it's the same. a good analogy but yeah you know i somewhat disruptively i say that if you're overweight in america and probably ireland um it's probably not your fault and i sign for for uh, support of that that statement that if you go back to the 1980s in this country, you had about a third as many people who were obese and about a seventh of as many people were suffering from type 2 diabetes. Now you start asking yourself, so back in the 80s, did they have better diets? No. Uh, better exercise programs? No. Better supplements? No. Were people better people with greater 
discipline back then? No. What's changed? Well, what's changed is there's about 20 times more fast food restaurants than there were in the 1980s. Uh, there are about, um, we drive about 60% more miles. So we can spend 60% more time in our automobiles instead of on our feet. Um, a full 48% of all retail outlets in America, and I'm not just talking about convenience stores, I'm talking about places, pharmacies, and uh, I guess you call them chemists, and, and places that you would uh, get your tires changed, all have junk food. So we're genetically hardwired to crave fat and sugar and salt and take rest whenever we can. And that's okay when you live in an environment of hardship and scarcity like we have for 99% of human existence. But now you throw that same genetic makeup into this cesspool of burgers and fries and sodas and pizzas and packaged snacks and sweets. And your genetics are going to win out all day long. You know, I like to think I'm a disciplined person. I'm sure you guys are disciplined too, but at a certain point for the vast majority of people, the genes are going to win out over discipline and we're going to grab that candy bar or be so hungry, we're going to eat that burger. And the secret is not expecting, you know, like in my country, 330 million Americans to find somehow find the discipline and focus of mind to do the right thing for, you know, the next 50 years. Uh, that the easier solution is set people up for success and shape their homes and their social networks. And, you know, my business is shaping people, the cities that we live in. So the healthier choice is not only the easier choice, but it's the unavoidable choice. And that's what we see in blue zones and Sardinia and Okinawa and so forth. And that's going to be the key to reshaping our communities so that uh, people are eating healthier, moving more, living their purpose, and socializing the right way. I wow. love that. Wow. wow. And, I, and I know that, like as Stephen said, there was nine lifestyle factors. And the one which you kind of come back to time and time again, which is so prevalent and relevant nowadays, is that point of community and the kind of social engagements. And like you've mentioned, uh, now I've listened to all your talk, a lot of your talks where you talk about that the in the blue zones, typically they spend six hours a day around other people and in people who they like. Could you talk a bit about the need for community, which you've found in these long living people and their social environments? So there's there's two levels. There's um, our immediate social network. And uh, the Okinawans call that a moai, M-O-A-I, moai, which is a committed circle of usually five or six people who are there for each other throughout their lives. And that turns out to be super important, not only as a as a, a sort of safety net if if you run out of money or you run into trouble or you just need someone to talk to, but I'm sure you've heard the often cited um, research that shows that lonely people, people who don't have at least two or three friends they can count on on a bad day, their their life expectancy is as much as eight years lower than people are connected. So what does this all mean? What's the prescriptive here? The prescriptive is to build a social circle around yourself very carefully because we know that health behaviors are measurably contagious. If your three best friends are obese and unhealthy, there's a 150% chance that you'll be overweight yourself. Alcoholism, uh, drug use, happiness, even loneliness is contagious. So you want to make sure to build this moai, your own moai, your own circle of people you're spending face-to-face -face time with, of 
uh, people whose idea of recreation is playing tennis or walking or gardening, uh, people who you can count on on a bad day. Uh, like we, you know, bad stuff happens to everybody. And, you know, people lose their spouse and a parent dies and a child gets sick and you lose your job. And we all have plenty of friends who are our, our best friends on a, you know, if we have extra money and you're buying them a pint and uh, you're happy, but you know, when, when the life hits the skins, are they still around? So making sure you have friends that will support you when, you know, you can call up and cry or you can call up and complain and, and they'll actually care. And then finally, I think it's really important to have uh, at least one, if not a few vegans or vegetarians in your immediate social network, which is by the way, way better than getting on some diet. If you look at the recidivism uh, curves of, of diets, they work for about seven months for 90% of people and they fail for almost everybody within two years. But if you make friends with the happy pair, every time <laughs> they come over to your house, they're going to make sure you're cooking for some plant-based food for them. When you go to their house, they're going to cook some delicious stuff from one of their happy pair cookbooks. You're going to be introduced to this healthy food. It's not ramrodded down your throat or you don't have to do it out of guilt or I'm going to send the environment. You're going to do it because it tastes good. And whenever, whenever you go out to eat with the happy pair, you can bet it's going to be at a restaurant that's going to have some delicious plant-based food. You don't have to think about it. All you have to do is be friends with the happy pair and you're naturally going to up your, your vegetable consumption. So that's super important. I know that was a long answer to a simple question. No, that was, that was, um, a good, that, that was very detailed and I, I really appreciate it. And in terms of, uh, I've heard before mentioned the importance of loose social interactions as well. Like it's obviously community, there's many different facets of it, but often you know, community is seen as our close group of friends, but often the importance of a sense of belonging to the wider community, the sense of saying hello to the person who walked by, the sense of saying hello to someone who make your coffee, that this is equally important to our sense of longevity too. Did, did you find that in the Blue Zones? What's that? Did, did you find that in the Blue Zones? That, that well, kind of absolutely. What do you find? So, so it, it, it makes a huge point. There's a famous TED talk on that. Um, but... Um, this is largely a function of environment. If you live in some soulless suburb where the only way to get to your coffee shop or a store is to get in your car, you know, which is usually in your garage and drive there, as opposed to, you know, my neighborhood, it's laced with sidewalks. I can, in fact, this morning I bike with a friend uh, to our local coffee shop. I bumped into three or four people and who I kind of know and said hello or they know me. And I didn't have to plan for it. I didn't have to, you know, put it on my Outlook calendar, make four new connections this week. You know, I just went to coffee. So it's so important. You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they probably feel stuck in their homes. But, you know, I wrote this book, Blue Zones of Happiness, and a cover story for National Geographic on the topic. And we found that when it comes to happiness, which is just another facet of health, that the most powerful thing you can do to increase your happiness is if you're unhappy is move to a happier place and the the um um evidence i i suggest to support that is if you follow unhappy people from places like africa or southeast asia uh, or places in south america that are poor as they move to canada which is one of the top five happiest places uh within one year 
their age doesn't change much. Their education level doesn't change much. Their marital status usually doesn't change. Their faith status doesn't change. Their sexual orientation doesn't change. But with one within one year, they're reporting the happiness level of their adoptive home. So they're all of a sudden the top ten or top five happiest people in the world. Uh, and sometimes this means a doubling of their happiness. They did nothing but move. So this just goes to reinforce this notion that if you want to be healthier or happier, don't try to change your mind or your environment. I mean, that's, you know, it's fun to try to do and you feel like, okay, I'm doing something. But the, the important thing to do is change your environment. Don't try to change your mind or your behavior, I meant. Change your environment. So, and this is something which I wondered with that, like, so say, say example, I'm living in some suburb and it's an urban jungle and I don't feel very fulfilled in it. And I'd like to be, how would I go about making a decision of understanding which is a happier place? Like, is it, does, does, is a happier place more urban? Is it more rural? Is it beside the sea? Is it beside the mountains? Is it beside rich people? Is it beside poor people? How do I, how would I make this decision if I wanted to move somewhere which was happier? I can partially answer that from U.S. data. So um, you're more likely to be happy if you live in a place where you're a, a more, not more than a uh, half a kilometer from a park or a green space. You're more likely to be happy if you, a neighborhood has sidewalks uh, and has a healthy food environment. You're more likely to be happy if you near if you live near water, either at a river, lake, or the ocean. People people live near water report about ten percent greater happiness controlling for everything else. Um, you're more you're you're more likely to be happy if you live in a university town as opposed to a suburb. You're, there's a couple types of happiness. There's one type of happiness is e evaluative happiness. Uh, or life satisfaction. That's how you look back in your life and how satisfied are you with the big picture? You know, I have a successful, having fear business. My my brother's a good pal of mine. I, we have good families. You know, we look, we're great. And then there's this um, experience happiness or affect happiness, which is how we experience our life from day to day, moment to moment. And they're actually often very different things. You know, like billionaires tend to say, yeah, I'm really happy with my life. But then you look at the minutia of their day, and it kind of sucks because they're worried about their troublesome spouse or or their portfolio, which might be collapsing, or all the skeletons in their closet from you know making that billion dollars. So um, when it comes to that life satisfaction and happiness, people who live in big cities uh, tend to have more life satisfaction. But people who live in rural uh, agricultural communities, they tend to have better day-to-day, moment-to-moment experience. So it kind of depends what kind of happiness you want. Very good. Because I remember I remember listening to you talk about uh, cartel, Cartago in Costa Rica. So like we when we started our the Happy Pears Vegetable Shop, we used to go to the fruit market every morning at 4.30 a.m. And it was people trading and it was such a subculture that was so much fun and there was so much messing and and it was so much lifting boxes. And, and, and for us, it was one of the most happiest times running around two ex two exuberant lunatics just like just wow, so excited wow, wow. with buying, vegetables buying and fruit. vegetables to sell for the day's trade and I remember you talked about this place Cartago in Costa Rica and this one market centre where people were trading and buying and selling like vegetables or something and it just reminded me of that and I wondered you talked about like Costa Rica being more happier on a day to day basis versus 
Singapore, where it was more happiness in Very the rear view mirror. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and Cartas, Costa Rica produces more happiness per GDP dollar. There's some correlation between wealth and, and, and happiness in nations. That Costa Rica does a better job with a little bit of money at creating a happy population than any place else in the world. In the world, and you know, my articles are really um, statistical based. So, what are statistically what are the things you can do to stack the deck in favor of happiness? I'm not going to give you a silver bullet, but I'm going to give you aces to put in your in your deck of cards, so you're better at you know playing black deck or twenty once. So. But National Geographic's way of telling stories is you find places and people to use as your character, and then you sort of metabolize the uh, the research into these into these characters and use the character as the delivery vehicle. So we found a avocado salesman in um, in that market in Cartago, Costa Rica, who had the profile of the statistically happiest man in the world, and we knew. He would be married. We knew he would have children. We knew that he would have religion. We knew that he'd be healthy. We knew that he would spend six to seven hours a day engaged in social interaction. We knew th these things all stack in favor of happiness. And then we, because uh, Cartago is was the happiest place in Costa Rica, which is the happiest country when it comes to this day to day. Uh, moment to moment happiness. We we use that market as ground zero of the happiest uh, place in the world. And indeed, much the way you experienced it, you walk in and people are joking. They're socially interactive. They're around healthy food, which doesn't hurt. They're physically active. They're lifting their crates. They're they're keeping their brains sharp by commerce. So you bring all these things together, and you get you know really a a, 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 a almost a a, a smoothie of um, joy for, you know, lack of a better metaphor. <laughs> That's gas because I remember back about five, maybe 10 years ago, we used to make smoothies at these tech events. There was this tech event in Dublin called Dublin Web Summit. And we used to make smoothies at it for, for people at it. And at one stage, we were asked to make smoothies at this event called Founders, which was, which was all the kind of elite tech people so there was founders of you know youtube and skype and all these very successful people i remember we were making smoothies there and we were chatting to some successful tech person and he was saying it was your man who started bebo it was michael can't remember his name but he said to us well you guys are ahead of the curve he says like essentially a lot of these billionaires they'll make all their money and then they'll start either a, a, an, a an food organic shop. food business they'll start they an organic food business and he says, that's what you guys are already doing. Like, just enjoy it. Like, you're already, you've, you've saved yourself making a tech company. And I remember really laughing at it and thinking. I, you're, you're not, that's not true. That's but, not true. But that was And we got, you know, we went a different way, but it was. Dan, yeah. there's, some, there, there's something I'd love to ask you on just in terms of um, blue zones, in terms of longevity. They all seem to be around equatorial regions and around where the weather is quite conducive to spending time outside and conducive to more, you know, plant-based foods growing. Does weather have any aspect to do with it? Because we live up a little bit more north of that. And I was just curious from a selfish reason. Yeah, well, they actually don't live around the equator. They live at about the 20th parallel. So they're sub, you know, maybe subtropical. And um, people that are on the equator, they, they often, be partially, I think mostly because of climate, they're often, they're shorter lives because of infectious diseases like malaria and cholera and, and you know, even just, diarrhea um but these places seem to live far enough north that they can they can have a pretty healthy environment but also have 
have um, three growing seasons a year, so they can have a garden year-round. Having a garden is really important longevity, I would say, insight because uh, it nudges you out uh, into into uh, to move for an hour or two every day. It's typically range of motion. It measurably lowers stress hormones, uh, and you emerge from the activity with vegetables that you're going to eat, presumably, because you know you grow. And so that's really important. Oh, oh, you know, the most important source of vitamin D is in the sun. Just 20 minutes in in quality sunshine, which you guys only get from June through August because you're so far north. But in blue zones, you have quality sun 12 months a year. And just exposing your arms and your legs with short pants for 20 minutes, you get more vitamin D than you would drinking a gallon of milk. And vitamin D is really important because it combines with calcium to help keep your bones strong through life. And, and um, you know, broken bones and falls are one of the top five killers of older people. So, you know, this, again, so it's just, it's, it's, it's a sum of lots of subtle things that come with living at the 20th parallel or subtropical that, um, that favors them. That said, um, you do not need to live in a blue zone uh, latitude uh, to enjoy the benefits of longevity. You can set your life up so that you're doing these things or proxies for them wherever you're living. And, uh, you know, everybody listening to me, the average person listening to me right now, you look in my eyes, you should be able to live to age 92 or 93. And it starts with eating a plant-based diet, whole Plant-based foods. Beautiful. I like that. I, love I like it. that. I Look into it. my eyes. I love <laughs> it. That's great fun. Really genuinely is. Yeah. Mesmerizing. Uh, okay. I'd love to move on to now the environmental aspect. Because I know your recent work over the last 10 years has been on Blue Zones Project, which has been about trying to apply the principles which you've learned in these environments. And as you said, it's about if we can put ourselves in the right environment, we're going to make the healthy choice. So I'd love, could you give a quick intro about what Blue Zones Project is, how you've gone about it, and some of the successes of it. So then the key idea, once again, is if you want a population to be healthier, uh, you're never going to convince a city of a million people to agree on what's a healthy diet or to get get them out and exercise every day or any of that. So rather than try to change people's mind, we optimize their environment. So the, the, the four pillars of Blue Zones uh, if you boil them all down, boil those nine down even farther, we're, we essentially set out to nudge people to move more, to eat less overall, and within that last, they're eating more whole food, plant-based, whole, whole, whole plants, essentially. We want them to socialize more with the right people, and we want them to, A, know their sense of purpose and live out their sense of purpose. So we go about setting up environments so people naturally do more of those four things. Well, how do we do that? Well, if we go into a city, the whole city government has to agree to us coming in and agree to support. So we audition cities. We don't show up. Cities cannot pay us a billion dollars to to do Blue Zone City unless we can go in and talk to the superintendent of schools, the chief of police, the city council, the mayor, the uh, the the chamber of commerce, the big CEOs, and say, look. We're bringing a team in here, our experts at shaping this environment so the healthy choice is the easy choice. 
um, if you can demonstrate that you're in favor of this, we'll come in. So once we know they're they're committed, then we bring in a team in and the team has three squads. The first squad is a policy squad. And we have aggregated the best practices in food, favoring whole food plant-based over junk food, uh, the best policies to favor the pedestrian, the cyclist over the motorist, and then to favor the non-smoker over the smoker. And we come in and we don't, we don't try to ram these policies down city council's throat, but we say, here's the evidence. We know that these things work to make your city healthier. Let's have a discussion about what would be most effective here and most feasible here. And remember, we're only here for five years and don't waste our time, we won't waste yours. Let's look at these policies and pick the ones that would work best here. And lo and behold, we always find about eight to 10 policies in each of those three areas that the city feels they can bite off. And then we make sure we have a team that stays on them, like a like a terrier on your pant leg to make sure that the city actually follows through and implements these policies. So that's the, and that's actually the, the most effective way, the most cost-effective way of getting a city healthier. The second team administers Blue Zones certification for schools, restaurants, grocery stores, workplaces, and for churches or mosques or temples. And uh, any one of those places, so we'll have a team that will visit all of them and will give free uh, consulting on how to make your environment healthier changing the designs and the policies of schools, for example. In schools, we would ask them to have no eating in hall classrooms and hallways. In restaurants, we would ask them to change the default. Don't automatically put bread and butter on the table, but if people ask for it, give it. Don't automatically fill people's sodas, uh, a glass of soda, but if they ask for it, they can get it, et cetera. And um, if, if, if these places comply and they do so for six months, we give them blue zones approval, blue zone certification. And then the third team, uh, over five years, will reach 15% of the adult population to uh, sign up blue zones ambassadors. And blue zones ambassadors, they agree to go to their homes and we give them a checklist on how to optimize their homes so they're eating less and moving more. Uh, we, we're talking about those mobiles. We actually spend an evening with sometimes 500 people at a time and put them, help them create their own Moai, five people, five committed social, five committed friends. They're often strangers at the beginning, but but for 10 weeks, they're going to walk together or they're going to eat Blue Zones Pavlox to dip. That's sort of, um, uh, they get together and they they eat, uh, they each bring a dish. I don't know if you have the term potluck. potluck. Yeah, I think most people have heard it from TV shows or whatever. Okay. So, um, so we essentially, we organize them around a healthy act, eating or moving activity for 10 weeks. And we find that about 70% of those moais stay together and friends are long-term, uh, interventions and, and they work much better than diets and getting people healthier. And then finally, <laughs> we, 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 uh, give people a purpose workshop. Uh, so many people living in middle America, they're, they're working 55 hours a week, they're tired, they're raising kids, they're spent an hour a day in, in their cars, and they never really have the opportunity to, to look inside of themselves and, and see, well, what am I good at? What do I like to do? Uh, and what would be an outlet for my gifts? And we have a really cool process, that, and we give it for free in our cities. 
So even the poorest people can come and we'll help them identify their sense of purpose. And sometimes, many times that is a huge life-changing epiphany. Maybe they won't quit their job, but we get a lot of people who we can immediately point to a volunteer opportunity or at the very least um, uh, help them start doing a hobby that, that exercises that purpose muscle. And uh, we know that people who have a strong sense of purpose and live that purpose live about seven years longer than people who are rudderless in life and they have lower healthcare costs. So, so it's policy, places, and then people. And we orchestrate this perfect storm over a five-year period. And we've seen cities' obesity rate drop by as much as 15%. Smoking rate goes down. People report higher levels of happiness or life satisfaction, higher levels of physical activity, higher levels of fruits and vegetable consumption. And uh, in one of our cities recently, Fort Worth, Texas, a million people, they reported that we're saving their city a quarter of a billion dollars a year in projected healthcare costs. So, you know, where we know this approach is working, uh, it, it goes counter to the way the economics of healthcare works in this country because in America, uh, people get rich off of sick people, they don't get rich off of healthy people. So the pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, and doctors, you know, their business plan basically waits around for you to get sick. And the more people get sick, the more customers they have. We're not saying that these are malicious people by any sense, but their their business plan uh, really kind of relies on sickness. And and the blue zone approach, uh, we get paid when we make cities healthier. And it's a very different way of approaching it. And it's um, it's been an uphill battle, but it's working. It's incredible. Really sounds phenomenal. Genuinely in every sense. I, I, I love the, like the sense of this, the simplicity in how you described to help someone find their sense of purpose. You know, what are your gifts? What do you like to do? You know, go do it. Like in essence, which is so simple, but it's something that I, I guess even through the institution of education that I went through when I came out at the end of it, I wasn't sure what I was interested in. I didn't really know that I was that interested in food. I left kind of feeling confused. And I'm sure to many people listening, you know, it can be hard in modern day society to know what's your sense of purpose, what's your gifts and how do you go about sharing that? So are there any tools that you'd have for anyone listening or any few little tips for anyone listening, how they could, you know, connect in with that sense of their gift and how they would start to live it more? Well, I'll show you something. And it happens to be right here, actually. I'll show you something. I know this is unusual to go to podcasts. Well, it's hard to show up very well, but this is, a, this is a, a deck of cards. We actually use these. Uh, there's a, a guy named Richard Leiter, L-I-D-E-R, uh, who's written several books on purpose. And and these cards, uh, can, I don't know, can you see these? Yeah, yeah creating, creating trust. trust. Uh, Researching, Researching things. things. Uh, this is great fun, Dan. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. Discovering, Discovering resources. resources. Instructing people. Social. Yeah. So there's 52 of them like this, and we take people through this deck, and we have them just look at each of these cards and think to themselves, would I like doing that? Uh, am I good at doing that? And and um, is it is this does that line up with my values? So they sort these cards on those three areas and progressively take out cards that don't fall uh, that don't satisfy all three of those criteria. And at the end, you usually end up with one or two cards 
that sum you up. Like it might be, I'm a, I like to take care of people or I am a good at resolving conflict or I'm good with the first idea. And just the epiphany of knowing, oh, that thing lines up with what I'm good at, what I like to do, my values. Now I know where to go with my either my free time or my professional life on what I should be doing to live out my purpose. And um, so we've seen people quit their jobs. We've seen people uh, really embrace uh, different um, uh, 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 charities, really like hurl their lives at them. And uh, people get healthier and get happier. What's the guy's name again who wrote the Richard card? Leiter. Richard Leiter. Richard Leiter. L-I-E-D-E-R. He wrote a number of books and I know he sells these cards. Uh, they're, they're, they're great tools. They're not all that expensive. Uh, they're called, you know, even though I'm a Blue Zone guy, I still have to put it. It's called the Journey of Discovery Calling Cards and the Adventure. That's yeah, right. Cool. That's okay, great. Uh, can, can I ask a question, Dan? Yeah. So we live in a little town called Greystones and we secretly, well, maybe it's not so secret now, but we'd love to kind of help, you know, as a sense of life purpose to create Greystones to be similar to a blue zone to where, you know, we create an environment where the healthy choice is the easy choice and where people can kind of live long, healthy, happy lives. Um, and obviously listening to you there, there were four basic principles that you said. Number one was to create an environment where movement is more conducive, where instead of cars, it's more pedestrian and more cycle lanes. That was one. Policy was another one. So that means talking to the local government and going, talking to the councils and involving yourself with that, which is quite difficult unless you've got an organization, I imagine. And then another one was the people going out and giving certification, which is going to businesses and going, hey, well done. You guys are eating healthier, or supporting healthy lifestyles. And then the other one was people, which was going empowering people. 15% of the adult population, you said, if they can become ambassadors or something or that type of thing. Was that it? Yeah, it was ambassador. There's a bit of a tipping point. See, if you have 15% of people doing it because they talk to their friends and their neighbors, you create this awareness in the entire population. If you can just get to 15%, that's why it's not realistic in a city of a million to get a million ambassadors, but it's realistic to get 150,000. And then everybody knows about it. We actually measure and we usually get about 80% name recognition. And that's important because when you go uh, want to certify a restaurant or a grocery store, you have to have a value proposition for the restaurant door. And if nobody's heard of Blue Zones, you know you don't get very far with it. But if everybody's talking about Blue Zones because it's it's ubiquitous and comprehensive, then that that certification means something, and it gives the the employer, the restaurant owner, you know, the superintendent of schools uh, a reason to work for it. So. It's, you know, I find there's, there's been so many of these efforts, these hard, healthy cities or vitality cities, they've all failed. And um, uh, I find unless you play um, a, a full-time staff of professionals who are trained at a five-year time horizon, you can, you can almost always get people to jump on the bandwagon for the first few months, uh, but it always runs out of gas. Uh, unless you have, um, unless there's a sustained commitment from the city. And by the way, because you pay people uh, a competitive salary and you got to give them an office and retirement, et cetera, you know, you have to raise a good bit of money to make these things work. But I'll tell you what, when they work, they're magic. Yeah. What, what are some of the, so you've had Fort Worth, you've had, there's a few other ones I, rem- I can't remember the name. There's one in Minnesota, I think, wasn't there? Uh, Minneapolis. First one, Albert, Albert Lee, Minnesota. 
um, Los Angeles, beach cities, uh, the whole, I was just there a week and a half ago, the whole island of uh, Hawaii, uh, wow. the whole island of Maui, uh, several communities within Oahu, uh, Naples, Florida is another big one, Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, Klamath Falls, Oregon. We've done 54 of them so far, 15 cities in Iowa. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's it's taken off. I mean, we've we've hit like most things, we hit the palm button during the the uh, pandemic here because people have shifted their focus from chronic disease to, you know, infectious disease, i.e. the, the coronavirus. Uh, but now they're coming back. They're coming back because, you know, even though in this country, a half a million people are, are dying because of the coronavirus, uh, about 6 million people will die this year because of avoidable diseases, largely because of the way they're eating. So, and, and their lack of movement. So, um, it's a much bigger problem than than the pandemic is, uh, at least statistically right now. We don't know what the pandemic could grow into, but but um, yeah, we need to get our focus back on on what's really uh, killing people in both of our countries and and uh, and bankrupting our economies. Here, here, I love it. I love it. There's one other thing you talk about in town in your Blue Zones projects, which is Life Radius, and that's like, could you talk a little bit about a bit about that in terms of the like where we live in terms of our cities and communities. Yeah, so there's some research that shows that most people spend about 80% of their life within eight kilometers or five miles of their home and workplace. So when we go into a community, we're usually focused on increments of five mile radius of uh, in a community. Yeah, so I mean, if it's a huge place like Fort Worth, we might have three life radiuses, but most cities are encompassed by one life radius or eight mile, eight kilometers uh, across. And um, so that's that's the geography uh, in which we do the policy, people, and and uh, places uh, three pronged approach at changing the environment. Amazing. Okay, I've got two final questions for you. One is. In yourself personally, what are any changes? Like all this research, you've had you've had decades of blue zones of of just incredible experiences. How has all this learnings of living with the longest people, the happiest people, researching them? How has it affected your own personal life? Well, I, I was in I was a big mediator before I started this, and now I'm ninety nine point five percent plant based. I'm. Um, I, I'm a big boy, you know. I, I very intentionally live in walkable communities, in both my my places. I I I've taken the time to truly understand my purpose. My purpose is exploring the traditional peoples of the world and bringing back their wisdom to share with others. That's that's my kind of life purpose statement, and that's what I've done the last twenty years. I continue to do it today, and you know, I don't have to think about my next job because I know it's going to be a variant of that. Um, I, I'm a naturally social person. I know that social connectivity, just any kind of social connectivity is good for us. So I'm, you know, I go out every night. I go do something every night, usually dinner with friends. I have gotten rid of some of the unhealthier people in my immediate social network. I haven't dumped them completely, but I spend less time with them. Uh, I eat more beans for sure. And, um, you know, I downshift through yoga and meditation. I know others do it through church and prayer and so forth, but I do it through yoga and meditation. Yeah, because you used to be an endurance cyclist that has three world <laughs> records. So, yeah. 
That's quite a shift. Definitely. Okay. 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 Final question for you. And this is, this is just to make it as most relevant as possible. So could you give for people listening, like you've given it, there's loads of nuggets and for anyone listening, I'm sure they'll dig much more into the blue zones work into all your work but what would be three big take-homes for anyone listening that they can apply today or in their life immediately uh number one i would get yourself a high quality uh plant-based cookbook I'm, i know you guys have one right i am blue zones it doesn't matter what one it is but the point is go through that and identify five recipes that you think you and your family like and learn how to cook those uh, so I'm not saying go out and eat that. I'm saying gain the skills and the and the and the uh, uh, gustatory experience of actually finding plant-based food that you'll like. Uh, you know, I stumbled on this minestrone. Uh, people want the minestrone. They can uh, they can direct message me at, at Dan Buner. I'll send you the uh, uh, give me your email. I'll send you the uh, uh, I'll send you the recipe. But there's loads and great recipes. Number two, I would take stock in your uh, social circle. I would sit down and I'd write out the five people you spend the most time with. And I wouldn't necessarily dump the ones that are drinking too much or, or, you know, invite you to the hot dog or hamburger barbecue every night. But I would say proactively getting, uh, two or three people in that immediate social network who are physically active in a way that you like to be physically active, care about you and eat plant-based. And then um, the last one, I would say, um, know your sense of purpose. We talked a little bit about that. So important. Get that, get your sense of purpose down to a simple phrase, put it on a post-it note, put it on your uh, bathroom mirror, uh, look at it every day for a month or so, and start thinking about how you can, um, either through your professional life, your hobby life, or your, your charitable life, can have an outlet for your gifts. It makes such a huge difference. And not only your happiness, the happiest place in the world uh, or the happiest people in the world are, are, um, are, are, are volunteering in different ways, but also lower healthcare costs, lower chances of obesity, lower chance of heart disease. It's just, it's good in so many ways and, and quintessentially blue zones. Amazing. I love them. Even in terms of your purpose there, there was, uh, as part of this, we're doing a series now on community and how to build more resilient communities. And as part of this, we've interviewed a guy called Bruce Parry, who you might know of. He, He shot a TV series where he went to 15 different indigenous tribes around the world and lived with them all and got the learnings from that. And now he's starting his own little kind of social experiment. But, uh, very interesting and very relevant to your indigenous people and getting the learnings from that. So it might be someone to check out for you. Perfect. Well, tell me his name again. Bruce Parry. B-R-U-C-E. That's his Bruce and then Parry. P-A-R-R-Y. Super very cool, interesting. Dude. You get on great with him. Yeah. I'll, yeah. yeah it sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys have a wonderful community around you. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah well, we, we're, we're blessed. We've, yeah, we're very fortunate. And yeah, we're fortunate. but definitely want to learn how to apply more of these Blue Zones project principles because I think, as you said, your life work is about getting the learnings from Indigenous people and bringing it to kind of make it more relevant to modern day 
I can't remember exactly how you phrased your purpose, but it was something to that extent. You had, you had a purpose statement, which you I thought was very statement, cool. Which is Damn really cool. Butner, you're very But definitely, cool. <laughs> I think ours is related to community and our own immediate different places where we live and how to add value to that. So I think that's something to do with us. So I yeah. love that. You guys are such wonderful dudes, man. I wish we lived close to each other so we could go, you know, share a radish or a pint or something. <laughs> 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 share a radish. <laughs> Eat an apple together. Damn, yeah. Butner, you're wonderful. Thank you so much for and, your time. I look forward to hanging out in person someday. Yeah, please go. And by the way, if your um, if your audience, if any other questions they may have had, if they send me direct message at Dan Butner, or you know, I try to post as I, you guys do, but I try to post uh, life hacks, uh, how to live longer at that at um, at, uh, at Instagram. So. And then your books, you've you've amazing books. They're all bestsellers. Um, for anyone Blue listening, Zones do check the Blue Zones project. You've got Thrive is one of the another one. Well, that, well, let me let me. Blue Zones cookbook. Wow. Okay, so it's Blue Zones Kitchen, which is a hundred yeah. recipes delivered to hundred. As number one New York Times bestseller, and uh, Blue Zones Solution, which is how to take these Blue Zones principles and permanently put them to work in your life. And then the original Blue Zones, Nine Lessons for Living Longer from the People Who Live Longest. They've all been New York Times bestsellers. And I put a lot of time, you know, the, the, I rattled off three books, but it it took me 20 years to do the research and, and write those books. And, and I'm very proud of them. And I appreciate you guys uh, mentioning them here. And um, I, I do believe that they, they they do good for people. Yeah, I've got a and couple. And by the way, if you don't want to buy you can go and, but most of the stuff is free at bluezones.com too so you don't you know you don't have to buy the book or um you most of it's out there for free well, one final thing just before we go is that uh, you've inspired us to take that environmental approach we're in a project here with a local school here with the teenagers and instead of just going in and trying to get them to eat healthy we're doing a month project where we're talking to the teachers the parents we're cooking lunch with them and we're really taking on the environment approach to see for a month how we can positively impact their mental health and their health in terms of movement, in terms of eating more plant-based, in terms of their sleep and in terms of the amount of time they spend on their phone. Those are the four main things we're going to measure. So, But your environmental approach has very much affected us and encouraged us. I, I so. the, the most cost-effective way to make a kid's day healthier at school and nothing to do with lunch because usually you can't do much with lunch on the long term, but no eating in hall rooms and classrooms, uh, uh, hall rooms or, or classrooms. So the only time they eat is when they come in the morning, their break and then lunch. And maybe out there's an after school snack or something. Because if there's no eating in hallways and classrooms, you engineer out eight hours of largely junk food eating. And um, they don't need that food. And by extension, we also have a couple other really effective policies that uh, you do not reward kids with candy. There's lots of other rewards that you can give stars or pencils or something. And you don't do fundraisers with candy. You do walkathons and that sort of thing. So it's trying to break this environment of do something good, you get junk food. You know, this, this which then just carries on to adulthood. You know, I had a hard day of work, I'm gonna get a big candy bar. And um, I think starting that young is so important and it's it's actually low-hanging fruit usually. And what, what, not, what did you do for your kids? Because that's a tough one for kids. Like even as a parent, I kind of go, oh, my, it's such an easy one to go. If you go to bed at night, I'll get, you know. Well, the um, so in general, I never bring junk food at ho home. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go out 
and my kids like I my my kids aren't vegetarian, but um, they'll well, once a week I'll let you know we'll go get ice cream or um, uh, once a week we'll go get pizza or something like that. So you know if you just don't bring it into your home, then you can plan for that. Uh, then you you eliminate about sixty percent of the temptation throughout the week, and there is a place to celebrate. There is a place to treat ourselves. I'm not saying Blue Zones isn't about uh, a a deprivation diet. It's about uh, in Blue Zones they're eating meat some and they're drinking the partying like wild people some, but that's during weddings and you know village festivals a few times a month or a year. And uh, there's there's a place for that. It, the problem is when it gets to be for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks, like it is in most of America, that's that's when you get the problem. Um, I'd be interested to hear how do you get kids off of uh, off of electronics? Yeah, I don't know. That's I guess we're embarking on that one, and that's we're going to start by measuring it and just get them to fill in something every week over the course of the program. Their screen time, you know, even simple thing like charging their, their their phone isn't allowed in the bedroom. That's one simple thing that we're going to yeah, try. It's minimizing it, certainly not eliminating it. I once to once went to a dinner party where at the door they gave us what they called cell phone condoms. So it kind of looked like a sock, and we had to put all of our phones in the, this this cell phone condom, and uh, we didn't we we could use them at the table. You know, we had a dinner where we actually communicated face to face without the you know Instagram or Twitter intervening, and it was really quite pleasant. I thought it was clever. Oh, and yes, it, I like that. That sort of grandy name to it, uh, you know, made people laugh about it. Like <laughs> I like that. That's and very cool. Yeah. Well, you guys stay in touch if I can ever help. You know where I am, and, and I likewise, Dan. Likewise, you're fabulous. Yes, I, I'm. I'm officially requesting that you're in my Malai now. You're my plant-based. <laughs> <laughs> back Great. at you, Dan. Right back at come you, Dan. Come see me in Miami, or I'll come see you guys in at the Happy Pier there in Ireland. All right. I love Thank it. You. Love it. Cheers, Dan. Thanks so much, Thanks Dan. Love Bye. 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 Thank you. What a dude. Oh, really genuinely, what a dude. Uh, that was, he's sp- inspiring, inspiring man. He, and I really look forward to hanging out with Dan. What a dude. Go and eating some radishes with Dan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool, man. But I love the Blue Zones project idea, the fact that actually they're going into cities and communities and actually helping set them up, setting up the environment, which I think is amazing and something which I'm certainly very curious of how we can apply. And this. it's something we've kind of arbitrarily thrown out there. I'd love to try to make Greystones a Blue Zone day. Shh, don't tell anyone. Yeah. But as we said, this this episode is part of our community series. So if you haven't listened to the other ones, please do check them out. It's a really fun series. We're having so much fun with it. Uh, thanks again for all your feedback on social media. We genuinely appreciate it. Let us know in Instagram stories. Tag us. We'll share it and spread the word. And please, you're a really important part of this uh, podcast. So please let us know guests you think we should bring on in the future, topics we should explore. This is the first series of a podcast where we focused about one particular area. And the reason why we chose community is that it's something so dear to our hearts. And we think in terms of modern day society, we can all do with a bit more of a community hug and a, a sense more of togetherness um, anyway thanks for your attention you've made it this far we're most grateful and uh, we'll see you next week bye cheers bye.